When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, at long last, our team preview series resumes, and we got a good guest to join us here today. You want to tell us about him? We do. A recurring guest now, Will Quackenbush, 1055 The Roar in South Carolina. Will, what's going on, man? Guys, it's good to be with you. I don't like the stakes that you put on this. The big resume and we're back into the team preview, and we got a great get. Like that's that may be a little too much buildup for me. I got to be honest. You got a reputation to uphold here, Will. <laughs> so make sure make sure you bring I will, it. I think we'll I think we'll uh, I think we'll have a good show. I'll say that. <laughs> Here's the hoping. Um, yep. Will, thanks again for joining us. You know, of course, we're going to talk about Clemson here in in 2021, and I guess just right off the bat, something that you mentioned briefly before we came on is that you know. Five, seven years ago, it was a lot tougher to predict how many games Clemson was going to win in a given year. <laughs> um, certainly in the regular season, I mean, they, they've the only regular season loss they've taken to an ACC team was Notre Dame in the last four years, and that was even a faux ACC kind of one-year, one-off situation. Here's my question, I guess, for for you and for fans surrounding the program, I mean, are you, you generally look at this schedule as it's basically a one-game season? of beat Georgia week one and then coast all the way into December? Or is there, is there any concern of, of folks, you know, that there could be a potential hole on the team or, you know, that there, there could be potential to lose anything else on the schedule from there? Well, it's a good question. I mean, I apologize. This is going to sound like the most elitist answer. So I'll just say like, if you're triggered by elitism from a Clemson guy, then you just go ahead and fast forward to whenever Joey and Mike start talking again. But you know, it. yeah, I mean, it is. it does feel like a one-game season now. Rather than, like, this is kind of annoying as a host to, like, rather than treating every game as a win or a loss, now if you can't beat uh, Alabama today, then it, the game is a colossal failure. So, like, if they come out against, uh, you know, if they come out against Georgia and win, but then, like, three games later, they beat Georgia Tech. Sorry, Joey. They beat Georgia Tech by, like, 30 but DJ threw two picks. People will be leaping out of buildings. They'll be like, well, oh, he threw two picks. If he throws two picks against Bama, you're going to lose. And the whole season's for nothing. So we traded this like, oh, you could play six toss-up games a year for you got to beat Bama every week. And that I try to beat back against that because the season is a process. We know that the best team at the end of the year isn't always the best team during the season. I think two years ago, LSU was the best team at the end. Ohio State was the best team during the season. Clemson ended up right smack in the middle of both of them. And I think last year we saw uh, the peaking of Alabama, where Ohio State was dreadful. I mean, Ohio State was a terrible team. If you watch them at all in the Big Ten, they, they could do nothing against anybody with a pulse. They didn't even play anybody with a pulse, really. Um, 
And the teams that did, Indiana Northwestern gave them problems. Then they showed up at the playoff and smacked Clemson around. And then, you know, uh, they I think they just used all the bullets in their gun against Clemson. That That's where Clemson operates now. Is like, yeah, you might have won 50 to 10, but did it look good? Where's the little nitpicky thing that's – because Saban is out there and he never sleeps. So he's out there watching Clemson film every week and he knows that the third string, you know, front four didn't get any push or whatever. So, yeah, it is It is a one-game season. Uh, Clemson's win total is 11 and a half. I mean, you talked about the difference from five and seven years ago. I mean, if you had told me Clemson's win total would be 11 and a half, I'd tell you we're playing 18-game schedules now. I mean, that – like, if you told me in 2014 – even when Deshaun Watson was a freshman, I'd have been like, man, that's that's silly. Like, obviously, that's not true. Like, we've expanded to a significant amount. But it turns out that people are expecting Clemson the, – the hinge point for Vegas is whether Clemson beats Georgia. And if they do, then you're getting a payout on the over. And if you don't, then you're getting a payout on the under. I know we're going to talk about that a little bit later, but that's that's the way it is right now, and that's the way that fans see it, is that if you can beat Georgia, you should beat everybody else. Not that you shouldn't have a challenge. Not that you shouldn't be pushed by somebody. But here's the bottom line. I mean, Joey, you said it. In 2016, Clemson lost a home game to Pittsburgh in which it gave up 600,000 yards on shovel passes. Chris blew it, as my co-host Kelly Gramlick says, did not blow it. Uh, he made like a 53-yarder. And Deshaun Watson threw two picks into the end zone. The same day, half the known world that was above Clemson in the rankings also lost. And so it ended up not mattering that much, and Clemson ends up going to the playoff and winning the first national championship in 35 years. Since that point, here is what Clemson has done in the regular season. They lost at Syracuse with Kelly Bryant significantly physically compromised with his ankle, and because he was compromised with his ankle, he ended up getting a concussion. That was also a game in which Clemson's defense was thoroughly outcoached by Dino Babers and still didn't even give up 30 points. Tanner Muse in that game. Uh, intercepted a pass or recovered a fumble, or something. I can't even remember. He uh, he scored a touchdown and then proceeded to chug the football like a beer or something and then wiped his mouth, and the referees thought he was doing a throat slash, so they penalized him 15 yards. I forgot about that. <laughs> it's the dumbest football game I've ever seen. They lost that. In 2018, Trevor Lawrence gets knocked out against Syracuse. It takes a, you know, a fourth down, Chase Bryce to T. Higgins play. Bryce runs the ball. ETM runs it in. They rush for about 400 yards to win that game. You look at 2019, no real issues. They beat everybody. 2020, last year, they go to Notre Dame. They're down to the coaches' kids and their younger relatives playing safety in the overtime against Notre Dame. I mean, they, they were and, – and Trevor Lawrence is in COVID protocols. BC pushes them in the first half because of weirdness. They had some weird stuff happen last year. Point being, in the regular season, even when stuff goes awry, you can't even get to Clemson all the time. And when they have lost, a couple of times that they've lost – it's been not whole. The last time Clemson lost a regular season game whole, like without any significant, major significant issues coming into or during the game, was four regular seasons ago. So Clemson is not a team that even on their words, you know, North Carolina, uh, you know, they go to Chapel Hill a couple years ago in a two-point conversion where they stopped them, where every team that plays Clemson tries to run it with their quarterback to the right side. Deshaun Kaiser tried that with Notre Dame. Like, it didn't work. It never worked. Stop trying to run to the right side against Clemson. Sam Howell tried it, and once again, it didn't work. That, again, you can get close, but you're not going to beat Clemson. The BC game last year is a good example. You get close, but you're not going to beat Clemson. And I think fans are sort of hunkering down every week for that. 
but they're not preparing for a loss unless something goes catastrophically wrong. And even then, it's like 50-50. You know, I wasn't sure Clemson was all that good, but you sold me. So <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to beat back the haters or whatever the kids yeah. say. Now. I was, um, I was just about to ask if Dabo was on the hot seat or not. So thank you, Mike. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Hey, that third that string D line doesn't get a push. You got to make some changes, man. <laughs> and, and in all seriousness though, in all seriousness, we did have to have that kind of conversation during the off season because I, I believe Brent Venables got a contract extension and it, it made him the highest paid uh, assistant coach in the country at Contract and extension. I said, yes. I said the reason that you give him that contract extension is expressly because of the Ohio State game. Because you can look back in the last, we'll say the last six years, but I would say even before that, Brent Venables came to Clemson on the heels of a 70-33 to loss in the Orange Bowl against West Virginia. His first defense gave up like 50 to NC State one time. We've had a couple times they've given up 40-plus to Florida State. Other than that, you know, Georgia Tech's option offense there for a little bit got him, and then he kind of figured them out. He's not – like, he's not getting outcoached. You could count on one hand the number of times in 10 years that Clemson has lost – I guess nine seasons now – that Clemson has lost a game, and you could point the blame primarily at Brent Venables got outcoached. That Syracuse game in 2017 was one. They've won games where I felt like Brent Venables out. I, heck, I felt like Virginia Tech, Fuente, I'll coach them for about a quarter and a half. They started running that sugar huddle, doing some different things. They, they hung in there okay. And then, uh, you know, for whatever reason, they stopped doing any of those things and they ended up getting blown out. I, yeah. I still don't understand why they didn't do that for four quarters. Ohio State shows up, and they there are a lot of people that say, and even in the program, they're saying we got to get physically tougher and all this stuff. And I'm not saying that's wrong. They had a very – they had a green offensive line last year. They had like three, uh, you know, veterans – and then a bunch of freshmen, and it was tough. Uh, it was it was really tough. They had some guys playing that probably shouldn't have been playing because of injuries and COVID and things like that, and that was a common theme last year in some ways. But ultimately, it's hard to be physical on the defensive line of things when you're not set when the ball snapped and the opposing offensive line gets a step and a half on you. I felt like that's what happened. So, you, you know, we could joke about Dabble's on the hot seat. I'm not saying Venables is on the hot seat. But I think it's it's a fair perspective to have that Brent Venable's given up 600 yards the last two playoff games. Brent Venable's got out coached last time. Like, those are things – not that there's, like, an existential crisis in the program, but those are things that need to be corrected to some degree. So, like, we're not having legitimate hot seat conversations. But there is this idea, like, you know, Clemson may need to sort of refine itself a little bit at that tip-top level of competition – and I'm not even sure that Georgia is going to squash that because beating Georgia for Clemson fans is like beating a really, really good team in 2008 if they were teleported into this year. I don't even think that that is that impressive to stymie that offense, even though it, it probably should be. But compared to Alabama and Ohio State and Oklahoma, you know, Georgia's just trying to catch up. Georgia's offense is a lot less sexy. I think we can all agree with that. Um, yeah. What are fair expectations for DJU? Like, he comes in last year and obviously one of the top recruits in the country, and he comes in and he plays really well when Trevor Lawrence is out, and he's got all the accolades. And I think, you know, even from an outsider standpoint, Clemson goes from Taj Boyd to Deshaun Watson to essentially like a year and a quarter of Kelly Bryant before Trevor Lawrence takes over, and now we're moving on to DJ Uyangalale. Like, what's fair expectations? Because everybody is expecting him to be outstanding. 
You know, fair is an interesting word, and I often say that expectations should not be set higher than someone can reasonably get to. Like, we have these conversations about programs all the time, like Clemson baseball. What's the expectation of the program? Well, I know everybody wants to go to Omaha, but what's the expectation right now? We have that conversation all the time, and, like, people differ about that. Those are, those are like, classic off-season radio discussions. The serious expectation for DJU is to seamlessly transition into the best quarterback in Clemson history. That's fair expectations. Think about what he did last year, okay? I don't think I'm, I'm speaking out of turn here. Trevor Lawrence last year, I'm looking at the stats right now, 69% completion, over 3,100 yards, 9.4 yards per attempt, 24 touchdowns, five interceptions. DJU in his two starts, okay, we're not talking about the mop-up duty, whatever happened. In his two starts, he completed 59 of 85 passes, which is about, I don't have those numbers exactly, but about 67%. For 781 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions, he's averaging about nine yards an attempt. Guys, that is against Boston College and Notre Dame, two legitimate. It's not, in, like I said, it's not a backup quarterback coming in and mop-up duty against the, the nobody brigade from other schools or against an FCS team. Those are legit teams. Notre Dame was a playoff team. Notre Dame had a good defense. You got legit NFL guys, both now and in the future, on that defense. DJ, you goes for 800 yards in those games, four touchdowns, no picks. After finding out, like, on Tuesday or Wednesday of the, of the first week that Trevor Lawrence has COVID, are you kidding me? That's what I don't think expectations are. I don't think you can make expectations too high. The only expectation that would be too high to me is Heisman because we know that's why Oklahoma exists to get their quarterback to Heisman and they get destroyed in the playoff. We know that's that's Oklahoma's lot in life. Uh, the reality is that DJU, I'm not even sure if you could say, uh, you know, first team all ACC. I've got some colleagues of mine that think that, you know, if they beat Georgia, he will be first team all ACC. I voted Sam Howell. Um, just because I think North Carolina is going to play a lot more 60-minute games than Clemson is this year. And I think DJU, in typical Clemson fashion, especially given what the backup quarterback situation looks like right now, is going to play two and a half or three quarters a lot of games. So I think it will look like they didn't miss a beat at all. The run game will look a little different, um, but I don't think statistically it'll look that different because I don't think they're going to overrun him early in the season, much like they did with uh, with Trevor Lawrence. I think they'll protect him a little bit. His shoulder got banged up in the Miami game when he went in. They were trying to do some kind of weird stuff with a package there. And so when he played against BC and Notre Dame, DJU was not 100%. Uh, they didn't even run him in the first half against BC. He scored a touchdown, but that they were sort of like prodded to do that by the way the game was going. So I'll be interested to see what that looks like. He's more of a Taj Boyd style between the tackles runner with his big body. He's a little bit, maybe a little more agile than people think, but that's not really his forte. He's going to be a, a potential, uh, you know, short yardage back, depending on who the running backs are, um, you know, in a zone read situation where he can keep it and get some tough yards. But in terms of throwing the ball, I mean, this guy is unbelievable. I actually think when you're throwing between the hashes, I think he's more comfortable doing that than Trevor Lawrence. Um, Trevor was a little – I think NFL guys love it, but he's a little more of an anticipation thrower where he, he's throwing guys open, but they're outside the hash. A lot of nine routes in this Clemson offense. What we saw when DJ came in was a lot more reliance on slot, a lot more reliance on crossers, 
a lot more reliance on back tight end inside the hashes. So middle of the field, he's got the arm strength and the precision and the anticipation to be able to throw that ball. I think that'll be a little bit better, and maybe Clemson won't be as reliant on you know those 50-50 balls on the outside like they had a tendency to do in the Trevor Lawrence era. Will, you mentioned the the backup quarterback situation, and I'm really curious to hear about that because to me that is that is pretty clearly like the crack in the armor for this team if there is one coming into this year. It's And it's funny because just last year we were talking about, oh, your five-star quarterback Trevor Lawrence got hurt? Well, just bring in the next five-star quarterback. And it was like this embarrassment of riches. Well, now with Lawrence gone, then you had – I'm going to just slaughter this name – Tayson – Fomachan. That- <laughs> it's actually it's actually not that bad. It's uh, Tyson Pumachan. It just looks really it looks really uh, difficult, but it's it's uh, it's Tyson Pumachan, and I just call him Puma. Puma. So I don't even know if I don't even know if he likes that. But Puma, hell of an effort, Joey. I, I really like the duo of Big Cinco and Puma. <laughs> that sounds pretty cool. Yeah, right. You can make right? A TV Isn't show that great? <laughs> um, okay, so long story short, Puma tears his ACL or his Achilles, excuse me, back in spring practice. So now it's just DJ. Then you had Bubba Chandler coming in as a true freshman. Well, he got drafted by the Pirates and he's gone playing baseball. So at this point, if if DJ steps off the bus for the South Carolina State game and gets struck by lightning or something, like you know, how do we feel? Does that really truly impact Clemson's outlook for the remaining eleven regular season games? Yes. Um, now I would also tell you that by and large, and I'm I'm not including 2018 when Clemson had Kelly Bryant and uh, and Trevor Lawrence, and I'm not including last year when Clemson had Trevor Lawrence and DJ Uyunglele. But bottom line, if you go into the season and your starting quarterback gets hurt you're not winning a national championship. Again, the Ohio State example is the primary one. People think that Tua would have done it, but the reality is that Tua was not exposed. Like, nobody had any film on Tua because he'd only played mop-up duty. He was certainly capable, but it was a a calculated risk, emphasis on the risk part, I think, for Nick Saban even put Tua in the second half of a national championship game without any meaningful game experience. You just don't see it. So, yeah, like, if you if you want to say there have been, what, seven playoffs and two of the seven national champions ended those national championship winning games with a backup quarterback in, fine, whatever. The reality is, particularly the way that the quarterback position is now with the transfer portal, you're not going to be able to stack quarterbacks. The only way you're going to be able to stack quarterbacks is if you have a talented freshman in tow. And the only way you get a talented freshman in tow is to recruit one every other year. Now, Ohio State, uh, with Quinn Ewers, we just recently – I don't know when this is going to come out, but Quinn Ewers just recently said he's going to reclassify. Ohio State now has like four top 75 quarterbacks in two classes. That's absurd. That's also not sustainable. You're going to see one or more of those guys leave almost immediately now because probably somebody – I mean, this is a bit of a cynical take. Don't sue me for this, but they probably lied to somebody and they probably were working Ewers on the side and it probably was a – you know, it's a tough deal. Somebody signed there. Given a false bill of goods. It is what it is. We move 100%. forward. Yep. Point is, you're not winning a national championship with a backup quarterback. You can try, and the best way to do it is what Ohio State did, which is essentially get four guys in the room, and then if one guy transfers or another guy transfers, you still have two, and then it's not till the offseason that the other guy transfers because you got more coming in. It's just hard to do that if you're really truly going to give a guy like DJU or Trevor Lawrence or somebody like that 
two legitimate years as a starting quarterback because big-time quarterbacks don't want to sit for two years and play their third year and then go to the NFL. That's not the way it works. So I would say the Clemson situation is normal. Most of Clemson's depth chart situations are not normal. Last year in the receiving core, you basically made Cornell Powell a pro, and you got Amari Rodgers to the league in a significant way where he may start week one for the Packers. He's had a great camp so far. And the reason is because a bunch of dudes got hurt because Justin Ross has had a major neck uh, situation that he still is not 100% cleared for. We're told that it's a matter of finalizing paperwork. I didn't, I didn't vote Justin Ross first team all ACC, not because I think everyone's lying to me, but because until he's cleared, a neck is a neck, man. A neck is not a knee. A neck is not an elbow. A neck is not a wrist. It's not even a concussion. A neck is like that's serious stuff. And so if I don't know he's going to be there, I didn't vote for the guy. But you got Ross, you got Frank Ladson, you got Joe Ingata, and all those guys were hurt the whole year. So what happens? The next guy step up. Powell, it's his ninth chance. He takes it. Boom, he's with the Chiefs. Rodgers, focal point now of the offense, baby. Boom. Guy's a 1,000-yard receiver. Travis Etienne, what does he do? He catches a million balls and gets drafted uh, you know, in the first round as somebody who now can catch passes. It's amazing what happens when you have super talented guys who just arrive on the conveyor belt next and next and next. Most programs don't. Most programs, if your top three receivers were out, all potential first-round picks, all top 100 guys, you know, four or five-star guys, you're toast. At Clemson, you just roll some more off the conveyor belt. Oh, we got a developmental guy here and, you know, a former four-star here, and we'll just put the running back out here. And, oh, by the way, we got two four-star tight ends in here, and, you know, we got this and this and this and this. Uh, quarterback, you just can't do that this year. So what Clemson fans are used to is, all right, who's next on the conveyor belt we can get super geeked up about? Nobody's getting geeked up about Hunter Helms or Will Taylor, who's the other backup quarterback this year right now, who is a wide receiver coming in to play baseball, who Davo said is going to play quarterback for a year and then be the new Hunter Renfro or Adam Humphreys. So all that to say, nobody's really winning with their backup quarterback anyway. Nobody's going to convince me otherwise. These other examples are outliers, and you, you hope that you're an outlier, but you've got to know deep down in the recesses of your brain that that's probably not true no matter who it is. You mentioned earlier how running back's going to be different or look different. Obviously, anytime you lose a guy like Travis Etienne, that's going to be an obvious statement. But, I mean, Clemson's bringing in – a guy who I followed during his recruitment, Will Shipley, who is really intriguing to me. And I'm wondering, A, does he play right away? And B, if so, what kind of impact do you expect him to have? And then if not him, then who else in that running back room? You know, going into the spring, uh, everybody's excited about Shipley. I'm going to get to him in a second. Going into the spring, if you had asked me, who's going to get the lion's share of carries this year for Clemson? Lion's share might be diff- different because there's a, there's a lot of guys that are going to be in the mix. So it's not going to be – I mean, you're talking about probably marginal separation between at least the top two or three guys in terms of touches. Um, that's just the way they want to do it. C.J. Spiller, the new uh, running backs coach, he famously – he we asked him straight up about Will Shipley, and he's like, Will Shipley ain't me. Because we're like, oh, man, you know, is there anybody in the room? I asked him straight up, is there anybody in the room that reminds you of you? And he was like, nope. Not answering that, not doing it. Already told Shipley, he's not me. CJ's great. We love CJ. Uh, and he's, uh, he's actually getting inducted in the Clemson Hall of Fame this year. So that's kind of cool. He gets to be on staff for that. He'll be in the Ring of Honor soon. He wants to be on the Board of Trustees one day. There's no better ambassador for Dabo's program 
over Clemson University than CJ. But he famously was recruited and signed with Clemson despite the fact that James Davis had just had a monster freshman year the year before he got there. So he opted into a timeshare. He he is going to sell these guys on the timeshare model. After watching Travis Etienne get the bulk of the carries for two years, if you had asked me before the spring, I would have told you Ches Malusi was the guy. Ches Malusi, uh, he had a better yards per carry average than Lynn J. Dixon. I, I was not enamored with Lynn J. Dixon last year. I felt like he wasn't running super hard. You know, he had some of the same issues with offensive line that, tra- that Travis Etienne had uh, for large portions of the year. But ultimately, I just I felt like Malusi gave you a little bit more power, a little bit more substance. Dixon seemed to dance a little bit. So I wasn't enamored with Dixon, who has had a strong offseason, so we've heard. And uh, we'll get to see them later on this week in practice when they open up a little bit. But we've heard good things about Dixon. I would have said Malusi. And, of course, Malusi ends up transferring to Wisconsin. So that threw my plan totally for – it threw me for a loop. It threw my plan totally in the trash. And I'm thinking, Lord, what has happened? It can't be Dixon. And we found out that it's actually Kobe Pace, who was a – he was a guy that came in last year with DeMarcus Bowman. He was like the throw-in power back with DeMarcus Bowman. Everyone loves Kobe Pace and has since he got to camp in August last year. Pace is more of a power back. He's about 200 pounds, maybe a little bit north of that. Bigger-bodied. Uh, not going to have the breakneck speed of ETN or some of these other guys, but Pace is solid. And I'm telling you right now, Kobe Pace, I think Ches Malusi saw Kobe Pace pass him in that sort of power back role where Lin Jay's more of the scat back role. And I think that's why Malusi bailed. We've heard great stuff about Pace. But guys, the stuff we've heard about Will Shipley is impossible. It's impossible. I said it about, uh, I said it about Deshaun Watson. It's impossible. I said it about Trevor Lawrence. It's impossible. I said it about Sammy Watkins. Impossible. Mackenzie Alexander. Impossible to come in in August and be a starter day two. That's not possible. All of these things have been proven possible over time in the Davos Winnie Clemson program. Will Shipley is a boss. He is uh, mature. He understands the offense. He can pass pro better than you might think for a freshman who has a Christian McCaffrey brand on him. He can catch the ball. He's got a little better finish than you might think for a guy with a McCaffrey brand on him, that sort of change of pace. I don't even think people mean McCaffrey when they see Shipley. They do, but they're thinking like Danny Woodhead. They're thinking like Brian Westbrook from the Eagles, right? Because nobody's McCaffrey. This kid is actually McCaffrey. And I'm trying to do the thing where I don't compare the white running back that catches passes to the other white running back that catches passes. Everybody I ask says McCaffrey. Nobody will give me another name, and I can't think of anything else. This guy is going to make an impact. Whose carries he takes? No idea. Might be Dixon. I don't know. But Kobe Pace has been phenomenal, sophomore. I guess redshirt freshman now since, you know, the the class that you are don't mean anything because of redshirts and COVID. But um, and and Chipley is going to make an impact. And then beyond that, you know, Dixon's got to – grab some carries every now and then. Mikey Dukes is a guy from Charleston who was a late ad a couple of recruiting classes ago. They really like him. And there are a couple of other guys. Phil Maffa, God. Uh, C.J. Spiller couldn't say enough good things about Phil Maffa, who, again, was the other guy that got here with Will Shipley. These other guys end up being really good uh, players, apparently. So how they figure out carries, I have no idea. Dixon, honestly, he's going to run out. They were the ones against Georgia, and, like, no one is talking about him. Because everybody loves these first and second year guys that much. 
you know, making the note about, you know, the comparisons to other white running backs, that answers my next question. So I'll, I'll just go ahead and skip ahead in the script here. Um, well, the, you know, just real quickly on the receivers. Um, again, you mentioned Amari Rogers, Cornell Powell, both going to the pros after last year. Travis Etienne historically has played a huge role in this offense in the passing game in particular. And so just knowing that it's like, well, you lose your top three receivers coming into next year. You'd think that this is setting up to be a bit of a rebuild or a, uh, a bit of a, you know, maybe missing a beat or two here in the passing game. And yet, I look at the talent that's still on this roster, you know, the, the potential of getting a Justin Ross back. You've got guys like Frank Ladson, EJ Williams, Joe Nagata, a Joe, a Joe. Um, I mean, there is talent galore still to throw to guys that are going to be tough to cover for any defense in, in America. I, I mean, just very quickly, there's no reason to think that the passing game is going to be an issue for this offense. Is there? No, because DJU is that good too. I mean, he, he, threw guys open repeatedly in Notre Dame, Boston College, and he didn't even have those guys. I mean, he, you know, he, um, he had E.J. Williams, and I think Williams is a great story because that's a guy from Phoenix City, Alabama, from Central High School, where Justin Ross came from. Uh, they were not necessarily – I'm not even sure they were teammates, but they were right behind the other. Like when Justin Ross signed, people were talking about, all right, the next D1 receiver coming out of Phoenix City is going uh, to be uh, E.J. Williams. He looks like Ross did as a freshman, to be honest, uh, just without the playoff blow up, uh, the, the opportunity to shine in a playoff situation that uh, that Ross had. And some of that is because Ross was playing alongside first rounders. He's playing, on, you know, beside guys like T. Higgins and so forth. Health is going to be the issue with this receiver group because the top three receivers, in, just in terms of stock, are Justin Ross, Joe Ngata, Frank Ladson. Ngata missed most of the season. Ladson missed most of the season. He's more of a burner. I'm a big Ladson guy because there's not really a true like straight line speed threat in this receiving core. There really hasn't been one since maybe Deion Kane that just likes to run down there and catch the ball. Um, most everybody else is catching 50-50 balls or, you know, trying to moss people. Or, you know, like the Mike Williams sort of all-around, you know, route runner, possession type guy that can also get over the top. So um, I, I'm a big fan of Ladson, but Ngata has impressed in practice every year and he's not healthy during the season. Talked about Ross. Ajoa Joe, the epitome of a project, but a freakazoid. An absolute mammoth human, nothing but arms and legs. His arms are like fruit roll-ups. Like, they just keep going up. I mean, he he made a catch in the in the spring game. It was impossible. He's just over two guys. Like, just over two guys. No chance to make the catch. Bop, here he goes. He's got the ball. Ajoa Joe is terrific. And uh, you've also got a couple of interesting freshmen in the mix. And Dakari Collins, who is from Atlanta, he's probably the lesser-known guy. I think he's from Westlake High School in Atlanta. And then uh, from out west, a teammate of DJU, Bo Collins from St. John Bosco um, out there out there in California. And I've heard great stuff about both Collinses too. So there will be, like, let's say that health is an issue for Ross and Ladson and Ngata. That next group is going to be more talented – and more capable this year than the next group last year. If you consider that your your ones and twos last year probably look something like this if everybody's healthy. You've got Ross, you've got Angata, you've got Amari Rogers. Your next group of receivers is probably EJ Williams, Frank Ladson, and then probably uh, Brandon Spector in there in the slot. You might be able to throw a guy or two in there. But when when you're upgrading, you still got that that top line where Ross is probably going to play in a slot if he's cleared which is huge. That's a massive development. 
Ladson and Engada on the outside. And then your second group is EJ Williams, Ajoa Joe, and then Spectre, Troy Stilato, another slot guy, either of the Collinses. That's a better group just in terms of talent. Now the experience of a guy like Cornell Powell isn't there, but you've got guys who are certainly capable, and you've got one of those guys in Bo Collins that does have the trump card of having been familiar with DJU for years. So the receiving course should be able to withstand a little bit of that a little bit better this year. But the fact remains, Justin Ross is a first-round pick when he's healthy. If he's not on the field and one of those other guys doesn't step up in a significant way, then you might see running backs in the passing game, tight ends in the passing game, more like uh, you saw at times last year. All right, so let's talk about the trenches on both sides of the ball because we can transition to the defensive side. Offensive line, you mentioned they were pretty green last year. They got exposed a little bit against Ohio State. Defensive line, on the other hand, we got Dabo going on your co-host podcast, Kelly Gramlich, a podcast she does with Eric McLean. Dabo comes on there last week and says that this is the best defensive line he's had since 2014. There were three first-rounders on that team. Whew. Is the defensive line that good? And is the offensive line in for another step in their development? They, they got to be a little bit better than last year, I would assume, especially against top competition. You know, that's an interesting question because, you know, the, the difference between 2018 and 2014 and why Dabo went back to that group in his answer, and he's right about this, is the fact that you had a bunch of guys who had started games who were experienced and super talented. So, like, in 2018, you had the Power Rangers – and it wasn't like there was nothing behind those guys, but you could certainly tell there's been a drop-off up front on the defensive line in 19 and 20 after all those guys left. You had Christian Wilkins, Dexter Lawrence on the inside, and then you had the, the uh, uh, Cleveland Farrell and Austin Bryant on the outside. Those guys were great. They had capable backups who were good players, solid players, but you didn't have what you had in 2014 where you had guys coming off the bench who were pros where, I mean, he, he gave the example of Dan Brooks, and this is true. Dan Brooks said the, uh, the legendary uh, defensive tackles coach at that time would say, it matters what you do in the meetings the morning of the game. It matters how you uh, conduct yourself on the bus. It matters how you go through pregame walkthroughs. It matters how you put your jersey on and your pads on before the game. And nobody knew who was going out with the ones until it was time to go out with the ones. That's why the 2014 example – was so interesting to me and why that too raised my eyebrows as a fan of my co-host's own podcast, which is a weird thing to say. Um, I, I felt like him saying that meant that Xavier Thomas might start one game. He might come off the bench. KJ Henry might start a game, might come off the bench. Justin Foster might start a game, might come off the bench. Justin Maskell might start a game, might come off the bench. Same on the inside. Tyler Davis, Brian Brzee. Now those guys are probably going to start. But you've got guys like Ruko Rororo. You've got guys like, exactly, uh, Ruko Rororo. Get ready for that one. If you hadn't heard Dabo say <laughs> Ruko Rororo, man, you hadn't lived. You need to go yeah, find Well, Well, I'm just so used to Dabo. And <laughs> I, I, I just texted this to Joey a couple of minutes ago. And we brought up the Ajoa Joe. I remember Dabo talking about the recruiting class. And he said the first time he met him, he said, I'm Dabo Dabo. Yeah, that's exactly right. Like, he loves these names. So, like, Ruko Rororo. It's just a that's just a classic Dabo name. That's but it, not that's, a name. That's, that's a Scooby Doo impression. <laughs> that's that's one of the guys in the mix. And then you've got like four and five stars in there. Trey Williams, who is a boss. Greg Williams, who's a mammoth human. And then you've got Demonte Capehart, who's a five star from Columbia, who moved down to IMG 
and is looking for a role. So you've got like five or six guys in that defensive tackle rotation that are legitimate starters. You've got four guys who were starters on the defensive end group. I think one of the things that that we thought that they would miss, um, like the intangible part, but I think we we were unsure about the tangible nature of this. Justin Foster opted out of last season and said he was giving up football because of COVID. He's got an asthma situation. Um, I you know he had some business opportunities. He's uh, I believe construction, uh, like he wants to go into the construction industry when he's done with football. Construction science, I think, is the is the major there. But he had some opportunities there to pursue jobs, and he was doing internships last year, and he was working toward that career. And, you know, sort of like any anybody, anytime you step away from anything to game, like call them back. And so now he's there, and he's being treated in many ways like an incumbent starter because they missed him on the field last year. He's not flashy. He's not going to give you a bunch of, you know, he's not going to give you the XT highlight reel from Xavier Thomas, but he is going to give you steady Eddie play, and he is a legitimate, calming, leading influence in that locker room and in that meeting room. They, they will be a better team this year in the intangible way, like in terms of the chemistry and the leadership function um, with Justin Foster in the fold. So Foster's a guy that you've got five-star in Thomas, Five-star in Henry, and Justin Foster might actually start every game in the defensive end group. And one of those guys might end up coming off the bench. That's the depth part of the defensive line that I think is interesting. And you could take that over to the offensive line, too, where they're still trying to figure out who's playing where. We think Jordan McFadden and Walker Parks, who's a great find as a true freshman last year, the tackles. Still a bit of an issue with the guards. We know about Matt Bockhorst. Guys are stepping up in the middle. But there are about eight or nine guys that they want to be able to win with by the time spring practice is over, or excuse me, by the time fall camp is over. And uh, that was not the case last year. It was down to like six or seven after they had a couple of injuries and guys that could not come back from their injuries. A couple of guys that did not come back still have not come back from injuries last year that were going to be critical uh, in that interior offensive line. They're hoping that a year of playing above their heads – uh, in many respects, will help the offensive line up there as well. Real quick on the back end of the defense, Will, we, there was kind of two key losses here. Somehow, some way, basically everybody on the defense is coming back, with the exception of linebacker Mike Jones and uh, corner Darion Kendrick. Both of those guys, some are between starters and heavy rotation players, I, I think if I'm characterizing that correctly. I, I get the impression from you, though, that you're not – too particularly concerned and I mean just a certain level of continuity in that back seven should really take this thing to another level for this Clemson defense yeah I would agree look I, I if I if I told you my concern was a zero on the back end I I'd be lying to you and I don't want to lie to you. I like you guys I'm, I'm not trying to lie to you um well, thank but you. <laughs> absolutely but the reality is guys there's a lot of really really talented players in this group there's a lot of really really talented players in the secondary, there are also experienced players in the secondary. One thing that we learned a few weeks ago when they opened up to, um, to the, the staff for interviews and they got dabbling in front of cameras for about an hour plus was that one of your starting safeties last year, a guy I was very high on coming into the season, uh, Landon Zanders, who's listed as a junior this year, that he was dealing with an injury almost all season long. And he really regressed, and we didn't really know why. They never put him on an injury report because he was always out there. Nolan Turner's back for his 93rd year of college. He returns. James Skowski returns for his 93rd year of college. It's incredible the institutional knowledge those guys have. They were there when the forward pass was invented. 
I grew up watching Nolan Turner play safety. He's still back there. It's unbelievable, guys, uh, how much experience these guys have. But in the very, very back, I think they're going to be improved. you got another year of guys like R.J. Mickens, who uh, grew as the season went on as a sophomore. Guys like Joseph Charleston and Jalen Phillips, third-year guys that have got to come along. And then the cornerback group. And this is interesting because cornerback is the biggest question mark going into the Georgia game. Right now, healthy on the roster. Here are the listed cornerbacks on scholarship, and I'm going to list them off right now. The listed cornerbacks on scholarship for Clemson. Sheridan Jones, Nate Wiggins, Malcolm Green, Andrew Booth, Mario Goodrich, and now Fred Davis uh, is the, the sixth. He's probably not playing. He was arrested uh, just a few days ago and charged with reckless, uh, reckless driving for going 115 and a 55 and putting a mail carrier in the hospital. I mean, that was a, it was a really scary situation. I would be shocked if Fred Davis suits up in the Georgia game because he's facing internal discipline. You know, I could get into the nuts and bolts of why, you know, putting a mail carrier in the hospital doesn't make it a felony or stuff like that. The South Carolina legislature actually is trying to rectify that as we speak. But with the, the danger of the situation, the reality is misdemeanors are handled internally. That's the way that Clemson does it, okay? Um, and so – Fred Davis is going to be subject to, to discipline. If it were one of the receivers or one of the other – like, okay, that's fine, next man up. But after you lose Darion Kendrick to transfer to Georgia, by the way, the team you are playing, the institutional knowledge that Darion Kendrick can take to the other side, uh, it's probably – there's probably a non-zero chance that that impacts the game to some degree. Now you're without Davis – and you've got a bunch of guys who are super talented guys. Andrew Booth, I've seen him up in the top five of some mock drafts. But not a one of these guys, and that includes Darion Kendrick, not a one of them was a consistent performer last year. I asked Mike Reed about this. I asked him about uh, – I got a little one-on-one -on -one time with him, and I said, look, he's the cornerback's coach at Clemson. And I said, look, uh, you see Andrew Booth making one-handed interceptions and just absolutely doing incredible things. Well, how does that make you feel? He said, to be honest, I'd sleep a little better if I knew he's going to be a consistent performer. That was his answer. So, like, all that stuff that makes Sports Center, we didn't see the 50 other plays where he should have been doing something and, and wasn't. We didn't see the grades at the end of the game where that's the one play that made the highlights and the radio call and all that stuff. The reality is those guys were not disciplined. They were not consistent. They were, they were not good enough to win at a high level. That was a big part of the Ohio State game that I think was lost was that the inconsistency, not lack of ability, not lack of availability, but the inconsistent play at cornerback is a problem when you're facing really good wideouts. The pros and the five stars and the first-round guys that Clemson faced last year, most of them were very good. Uh, Clemson fans are not used to that because you've gone from McKenzie Alexander to Cordray Tankersley. You've had A.J. Terrell and Trayvon Mullen, and you've had first-round caliber guys for about the last seven years until now, when you've got first-round caliber guys, four stars, five stars, they can't figure it out and put it together. So Booth, Goodrich, uh, Wiggins, Jones, that's going to be your top four against Georgia. Now it helps that Georgia, you know, doesn't have a super prolific passing game. And, you know, Demetrius Robertson, former five-star, has transferred out. So they've got, you know, George Pickens is probably not going to be healthy. They're going to be, you know, significantly hampered at wide receiver. Not having – Fred Davis is one of my favorites. Not having Davis is, is disappointing the choice that he made, which is a very reckless and dangerous choice for a young man. 
But not having him in the game is going to be significant, too. They have actually cross-trained Malcolm Green at corner and safety, and he played nickel last year uh, behind Mike Jones, who's no longer there, and Trenton Simpson. So you may see uh, you may see him kind of going back and forth, inside, outside. You may see a freshman, remember this name, guy from Texas, from the Austin area, Andrew Makuba, who missed a lot of the spring, had, I think, a knee injury or something like that, had surgery. They were already cross-training him at nickel and safety and maybe some corner. Six feet, very good athlete. They love Makuba. So in certain, like, nickel and dime packages, you may see, you know, two of those four guys that I mentioned on the outside, and you may see Green on one inside and Makuba on the other inside, and then, you know, Turner and Xanders in the back or any combination of those guys. The, I think one of the keys to the defense so was getting Skalski back and trying to figure out that linebacking core. Mike Jones left because he wanted to play three downs. Brent Venables is not going to play three linebackers, three downs, and they did not see him as a weak side linebacker in their system. That's why he's at LSU. Trenton Simpson is a perfect fit for that Nickel Sam role, that Dorian O'Daniel, Isaiah Simmons type role from years past. He's the perfect fit for that. Green is more of a nickel a la Ryan Carter, who's got a ring from his time at Clemson, undersized corner that really took to the nickel role and did a good job in, in passing downs. That back seven's got a lot of questions, guys, but there are a lot of potential answers there if guys will perform consistently. And I think consistency's been the name of the game in that back seven all offseason, whether it's having guys in the lineup consistently, Skowski missed some time, Simpson was a freshman, so you had some injuries and some COVID issues in that group too, but th- there's not a ton of depth at that corner but there is as much talent in that cornerback group as anybody in the country, I believe. And so, you know, hopefully for Clemson fans, they'll be able to see that coming up, starting with Georgia and then going through the season when you take on potentially the likes of North Carolina's receiving core, Boston College's receiving core, Wake Forest receiving core with, you know, Roberson and Green and those guys. I mean, consistency is the reason why Clemson now has a preposterous win total of 11 and a half. I'm going to go under based on principle because I can't in my right mind bet an over on Clemson at 11 and a half. That seems just, I shouldn't have to, I I shouldn't be forced to do that. I have to take the under, I guess. But then outside the Georgia game, I, you know, I look at the schedule, I'm trying to find like landmines here and it's really hard. I mean, at NC state, Maybe a little bit of a challenge there at Pitt, but you have eight days to prepare because you get Syracuse off a bye week on a Friday night. I mean, Louisville might be okay, but they could also implode. I mean, we know what the situation is there with Satterfield. Outside of that, Boston College is at home. Boston College could be good. They're at home. I I don't know where Clemson slips up here, which I guess is why they're perennial playoff contenders, national championship contenders every year. Um, have you guys seen The Wire? It's a little bit before our time, I'll say. I'm still young like you guys, okay? But I have watched The Wire. And the line from the movie, you're going to come at the king, you best not miss, that's Boston College last year. If you look at Dabo Sweeney since 2015, you might get, twi- you might get two. Some, some coaches get two. Dave Doran got two shots. And they've not come close to beating Clemson since. Boston College may get one. You know, you look at the league. Since 2015, Pittsburgh, Pat Narduzzi, one shot. Um, I'm trying to think. You know, Jimbo got a couple. 
And then after 2016, they fell off and got destroyed. Willie Taggart got no shots. He, he was doing nothing. Mike Norvell <laughs> turned away. You know, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say that. We'll get canceled by the CDC if I say that. Um, but Dino Babers got two shots with a 2018 game. So maybe Boston College gets another shot. Normally, coaches get one shot at Dabo. And if you're going to come with the king, you best not miss. And if you don't miss, you don't get a second shot most of the time. I don't think Boston College is going to get – you're not going to have a team whose quarterback has COVID and has injuries uh, up front on defense. On the defensive line, they really were very banged up going into that game with Brzee and Davis, um, which we didn't even talk about that D-line because Brzee and Davis um, – well, we did talk about the D-line, but Brzee and Davis may be the two best defensive tackles in the country. Um, I think people – people are saying Brzee's number one. I think people are sleeping on Tyler Davis. That guy's an animal. He played like one two years ago and then was totally compromised physically last year. I expect him to have a monster year. Anyway, be that as it may. I don't see landmines either because the teams who are capable of beating Clemson don't, and the spots where you get Clemson, you can't predict before the year starts. There's always, like we said, it's been four entire football seasons that Clemson has not lost an uncompromised regular season game. Hasn't happened. So I, I, you're right in saying you shouldn't take the over 11 and a half on principle. I would just – I would stay away from the number because in my mind, Georgia's not capable of beating Clemson. I don't think in their DNA they're capable of doing it. I think they're capable of playing a close game with Clemson. I think to win the game, they have to blow them out because, again, they've been choking for decades with opportunities to do this. Like it's an institutional thing. And Clemson has been winning these close games. Like, when's the last time Clemson lost a truly, like, close game against an elite team? They got pasted by LSU. They got pasted by Ohio State. But they won a close game against Ohio State the year before, in 2019, before they lost to LSU. They won a close game in 2016 against Bama. The 2015 game against Bama wasn't even that close. It was close to the end because they were two scores down and scored at the end. But, like, one-score games, you're not beating Clemson. Think about it, like the North Carolina example, the Louisville example, the Notre Dame example from year. You're not being Clemson a one-score game. I'm sorry. It's not happening. Pittsburgh 2016 is a one anomaly. They find a way. Georgia's not going to find a way. Georgia finds a way to lose one-score games against elite competition. They're, they're, they're not a – if George Pickens was playing, I might change, especially with Davis not being there, Kendrick on the other side. Maybe that's changing things, but I don't see Georgia winning. The smart play, somebody, Andy Staples or somebody in the athletic, I'm sure it's somebody else now that I actually said a name, but uh, <laughs> they basically wrote, you could split the difference and take Clemson to win the game, like to cover, and then uh, take, or maybe take Clemson over 11 and a half. I think that's what he said. Take Clemson over 11 and a half and then bet Georgia. That way you've got some skin in the game either way because it's better juice if you bet Georgia as a four point favorite straight up. If you think they're going to lose, and then if they if you lose that, then you're going to at least get your money back, if not more, taking the over on Clemson. So there you go. That's how I would play it. If I were if like if you made me make plays on that, I would take Georgia straight up on the money line, and then play Clemson over eleven and a half. And no matter what happens there, I'm ending up with a little bit of cash. I mean, I think they're going twelve and zero and eight and zero in conference, and they're winning the ACC. Obviously, I just. Not sure I'm going to bet the 11 and a half total. I mean, I think they're beating Georgia too, but that's kind of where I'm at. I'm with I, you. I, for, first off, I feel like it's relative to mention. I, I need to mention that Lamar's Louisville would have beaten 
Clemson in that game if James Quick knew where the first down line was. But anyways, <laughs> we won't talk about that anymore. Listen, Bobby Petrino, Bobby Petrino still thinks the game is rigged. He told us that on our air. He thinks the game, he thinks that there was something untoward happening with that marker that it should have been further up or whatever. Like he's that he's sounds a, very, that sounds exactly like something Bobby Petrino would say. Yeah. It, it does. <laughs> Um, you know, just to kind of further put this in perspective, I'm looking at Bill Conley's SP plus preview. Uh, he gives Clemson a 60% chance to win the game against Georgia. Other than that, the next toughest game they have by SP plus standards is Pittsburgh, which he has is Clemson having an 85% chance to win. I mean, he's got them projected at almost 11 wins, which is just the way that that system works. That is an insanely high win total. Uh, it really does come down to that that Georgia game. Um, I'm I'm kind of with you guys. It, it, first of all, I'll also point this out: the fifth toughest game on the schedule is apparently my Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, <laughs> having an eight percent chance to win the game. There are seven <laughs> t- other teams that Clemson will play that have a worse chance at winning the game than than Georgia Tech does. So, um, just I thought that was worth mentioning. Mike, you got them at twelve and zero. Yeah, twelve and zero, eight and zero, conference champs. The championship game won't be close. All that, I don't. It doesn't matter who it is in the coastal. They're they're going to lose by a couple scores. Won't be close. I'm I'm with you. Will same thing. Twelve and zero, and I'll go ahead and say nine and zero because, you know, I think Miami has got a a good chance. I I can't pick them to win that division because they got so utterly eviscerated by uh, North Carolina last year on the ground, but. If North Carolina stumbles a couple times, Miami could lose the one to North Carolina and still go. doesn't matter if it's Miami or North Carolina. Clemson's beating both of them. That's another one. you come at the King. You best not miss. Sam Howell's not beating Clemson. Sorry. You had your chance with the two-point conversion, but Clemson only scored 21. Not happening. I, I'm with you, though, Mike. On I, I would not bet that win total. No. Just, there's not good odds on it worth betting. And really, honestly, the smarter thing to do is if you do want over 11 and a half wins, the smarter thing to do is probably just start betting Clemson money line in every game and start rolling over the money, do the mechanical parlay, as they call it. Yep. And that way, if if there is a game where in the third quarter DJ gets struck by lightning or something and you want to back out from there, you have a chance to, you know. But, um, yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I can't bet that win total at this point. <laughs> it's just insane. Testament to Clemson now. I will, and, and the other thing, the last thing I was going to mention, Will, is that you were talking earlier, the very the very beginning of the show here, about how some of the Clemson fans, it's like if, if you only win by 30 and you turn the ball over twice, it's like the sky's falling and it's just unacceptable. There's part of me that, that, and I'm not a Clemson fan, so what do I know, but it's like, remember where you came from a little bit. Like 10, 12 years ago when Dabo took this team over, I, I mean, they were not a superpower. Like it was a successful year. If they finished the season, in the top 25, you know, it really was not that long ago. So I don't know, stay humble or something. I don't know, but don't. Yeah. I mean, well, and I, I would say it like this, uh, this is like, this is way too smart. Stay humble is better. I'm just not going to say it. Cause you said it so well, Joey, <laughs> but um, it's like, remember how fragile the ecosystem is. Like, right now, Clemson has a president in Jim Clements who was one of the leading candidates to be the ACC commissioner, by all accounts, um, and seriously considered it before returning to Clemson, who is very pro-athletics and pro-growth and wants to see Clemson succeed for years to come and is going to support the program in whatever it takes to do that. You have Dan Radakovich and his um, 
his associates, his associate ADs, who are all incredibly good at their jobs. Uh, there's a wealth of talent in the athletic department right now at like Clemson. Young talent that's going to make waves in the country, I believe. There's some really, really bright people in there. But Dan Radakovich is going to allow the program to succeed and has a, the program on good footing. And then you have Dabo Sweeney. And look, this is part of the conversation about realignment. I do think some of this is because there's always this idea that, number one, you're at a place in a program that very few programs have ever been in the history of college football where you've got a legitimate dynasty going for yourself. And number two, that it could end in any moment for any reason. So any external threat to that, whether it's like Ohio State's rise to match Alabama, people freak out about that. If it's realignment, people freak out about that. And I was saying, like, with the SEC stuff, I was telling people, folks, relax. Like, Dabo's going to find a way. But then I started thinking, oh, well, you know, if the SEC, if the new SEC is getting $60 million a year per school and Jim Clements isn't there and Dan Radakovich isn't there and Dabo Sweeney isn't there, then maybe Clemson is going back to 7-5 and five every year. So, like, there is this idea that this does not last forever, that it ends almost before you know it, these kinds of things. And so there's this balancing act that you have to try to that you have to try to reach where you're trying to appreciate it for what it is, but at the same time you want to hold on to it very tightly because once you get you know, once it gets taken away from you, you may not get it back. I mean, there were Clemson fans that thought the best thing that would ever happen in the program was the 1980s and spent the entirety of my childhood and teenage years and college years trying to convince people like me that the the 80s were, you know, the 80s were the greatest time ever. Well, this makes the 80s look like child's play, where you had one national championship and a handful of ACC championships. I'm not sure Clemson's losing the ACC in the next five years, truly. I don't know, I don't know if there's any program that's going to jump up and beat them in, five, in the next five years, minimum. I agree. I don't know if they're going to lose to South Carolina in the next five years. And they've I already agree. won six, and losing five in a row is the worst thing ever, from 09 to 13. I was worried. I was working in athletics then. That was a terrible time to be a student working in athletics. That was horrible, horrible time. So I think, I think part of it is the desperation of wanting to hold on to it as long as you can and not wanting to be complacent um, and, and sort of squander this opportunity that you've been given to see a bunch of really cool stuff. I do think that's a factor here. Mike, that's all I got for Will. Anything else? Hell of a preview, Will. Thanks, guys. I appreciate that. It's always good to, to visit with you. And, Joey, look, man, I, I'll i say this. I was at ACC kickoff. Mike, I think Virginia Tech's going to be fine. I was at I ACC think so kickoff, too. and I'm not going to say who it was, but somebody said, is anybody taking Georgia Tech over four and a half? There's a large gathering of people, about 20 people. And I said, I mean, yeah, like, I'll take them. Like, Gibbs is a boss and Sims a boss. Like, what are you talking about? And this person looked at me, it's a very credible person, and said, Quok, they're playing at 85 Bears every week. So I would say, Joey, patience is a virtue. I swear I try my best to get Georgia Tech to five whole wins. I'm not sure they're going to do it, but I do think Collins is doing good stuff. That suit that he had at ACC kickoff was messed up, though. It clung to his leg like three different ways. I don't, even, I don't know who fit that. That was not good. We're, we're going to have to do a whole other show to talk about Jeff Collins' fashion choices. Uh, that's, yeah, right. That's a story of itself. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. I, I I don't know how optimistic I am as compared to you for this season. It is it is very schedule driven. We'll get to them in a later preview, but I you know I need to see some some growth, not necessarily in the win column, but certainly something on the field. Show me something. We'll we'll get there. 
I know this is not the Virginia Tech Georgia Tech hour, but I just thought I'd encourage both of you guys while I'm here. Well, thank you. Thank Appreciate you. that. I'm ready yeah. to come back and talk trash about Mike's Hokies at some point in the near future. So, <laughs> yeah, Joey. Thank Joey thinks they're going to win. Joey thinks they're going to win about four games. <laughs> they led the league in rushing last year. That doesn't just go away because Herbert graduated. That's what I, I, think I, it, I got I think him. It, I think it might. You do. It might. <laughs> it might. You know what? Here's what I think. I think they're finishing ahead of Pittsburgh because Mark Whipple hasn't run the ball in ever. So I think I think Virginia Tech's finishing behind Virginia and ahead. Yeah, Narduzzi can't beat Narduzzi can't beat Fuente and Blacksburg either. Nope. Well, with that, we're done with the Clemson preview. <laughs> <laughs> Will, this has been a lot of fun. You, you're incredibly fun. You're incredibly knowledgeable. This is why we bring you on. So thank you so much once again for taking the time with us. You you lived up to the expectations. You nailed it. So thank you so much. Do you want to tell the people real quick where they can find your stuff? Absolutely. We're at 105.5 The Roar. You can follow the station on Twitter. We're on 12 to 3 every single day, um, live in the upstate of South Carolina. Um we, we go all the way up to the North Carolina border and a little bit beyond. It's a, it's a very good signal. You can also pick us up on WCCPFM.com. You can stream us live or you can listen to every hour of the show podcast there. You can also download those hours of podcasts wherever you get your podcasts. So um, give us a listen. Out of Bounds with Quack and Kelly. Awesome. Thanks, Will. Thanks, gentlemen. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. We'll talk to you again soon, all right? All righty. All right. All right, Mike, we got to get out of here. We got more teams to preview. In the meantime, they can find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He's at Mike McDaniel SOS. Together we're at BC Podcast ACC. And he is once again at Quok Talk on Twitter. Go find him there. All sorts of Clemson and other commentary. That's a lot of fun. Go check him out. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, on Spotify, basically anywhere you want to find your podcast. Go find us there. Uh, send us an email with your questions, comments, concerns to the longest email address known to man basketball conference podcast at gmail.com nailed it thank you uh mike where else can they find us on the social medias facebook facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review find all of our podcasts there instagram at bc podcast acc as well hell yeah getting more uh, more content there by the day so go check us out there uh mike that's all i got anything else i think we're good man on to the next preview on to the next one i can't i can't wait looking forward to it all right Well, for that guy, Mr. Mike McDaniel, and for Mr. William Qualkenbush, my name is Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will talk to you again soon, and until next time, go ACC. Go ACC.